0: Wow! I should try that again. Um, very cool. I my uh, my wife yesterday was was here. Amanda. She was filling out the card, and all she was doing is just writing names down. I'm like, well, that's not how you use a postcard. She's like, I don't know. I don't have their addresses, but I'm. These are people I want to invite. She's made a big list on there. So, however you want to utilize that postcard, great. Um, I I do want to tell you. You know, um, this like I I think if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, I've said this. This this is our promotional strategy. This is our this is our campaign. We're you know we're not. And I know people have come to church at Easter and initiated a relationship with Jesus because they saw a bumper sticker or a little antenna topper or a blimp flew by, by. that's hard to say, a blimp flew by, and they managed to say, you know, gosh, I got to go to church and whatever it is, but we just believe, and uh, you know, those are all great things, so I don't, this isn't just like to sort of eliminate the the importance of those things, but we believe that the, the best resource we have is us. And that we are a church who believes in the power of relationships and being together. And uh, in, in a world where everybody can be instantly mass emailed something very quickly in a very impersonal way, um, the postcard kind of stands out a little bit as something a little bit more personal. And we just would invite you to consider what that might look like about inviting some folks who you haven't maybe connected in a while. Or maybe you, you know, but would, you know, just might be kind of a unique way to invite them. Because they do get bombarded with mass emails, and they do get sent a bunch of other information and mass marketing stuff, but this is you saying, I want you to come with me to Easter. In fact, a lot of people didn't really get this right. We had a lot of folks who were filling out cards, postcards saying, you should come to this church. It's great. And not signing it. Like, there's, someone's going to get a handwritten anonymous invitation. So, that's like half the way there. We, we love that they're going to probably show up because you're incredible writing every word is a dream. You and Emerson, or you'd ever throw, you just write perfectly. But... We'd like them to come with you. That's kind of how we do life here, is us together. So make sure you sign those postcards. We're getting some great stories back. A guy this week, um, Bailey, who works on our children's staff, said her husband, Sean, sent his his postcard to a friend, and it was this. Hey, you should come to our church at Easter. Our pastor likes Star Wars. (laughs) Whatever it takes. I don't know. Whatever you need to help people feel connected here, we want to be all about that. And we believe that, of all the things we could do, that always, you hear Doug say this last week if you were here with us, that always the more powerful thing is the more personal thing. And that's how we kind of operate. It's family, we do it that way and we, we just believe that's kind of how we ought to operate. So that's why we did postcards instead of other stuff. If you're waiting for your bumper sticker, we don't have one. Uh, tape, tape a postcard to your car. Um, we are, as Mike said, we're in the, uh, we're, we're wrapping up our series on fearless generosity, which has been really great. There's been some conversations we've had with folks that had been very cool, and um, I mean, everything from you all, by the way, I should say this too, if you're new with us, your whole experience and fear of church is all, almost always wrapped up in, I know I'm going to walk in there, they're going to warm me up a little bit, and then they're going to start saying, we need your money, give us your money. And you know, now, and you, you look in your outline, and you show up, and there it says, fearless generosity, you're like, oh, this is ridiculous, when does brunch start, or whatever, you're already on your way out. Let me just tell you, if you've been with us, we, you know this, we've been saying this, that you know, while the Bible does talk about generosity a lot, only at least a little slice of that is about money. We talked about it last week. We've been talking about fearless generosity for a number of weeks. We only talked about money once. Because while the Bible, at least when it talks about generosity, is about money, it's so much more than that. There's so much more to generosity than just our money. we talked about this, uh, like I said, over the past couple weeks. We talked about a fearless generosity of forgiveness. We talked about a fearless hospitality uh, we talked about a God who is fearlessly generous with us, and that one of the markers of people who belong to Jesus would be this life of generosity, not only with their money, but with everything in their life. And so um, this has been a very, very great series. I'm excited about today, especially today. Today's Palm Sunday. Today's the, this is the day where Jesus, you know, walks into uh, Jerusalem, or what walks? He's on a donkey, but he comes into Jerusalem, and everybody's, you know, throwing palm branches. It's this kind of momentous moment. But also culturally, it's a time in which people, as we get closer to Easter, are very aware of Jesus. They're aware of God. There's all kinds of questions. In fact, this is a time when people are like more willing to go check out church than ever, right at this time of the year. We know that people come at Christmas and Easter. But this is a time of the year and people are like, who is Jesus and what's that all about? Number one cable show right now, Neil Rannings just came out. The Bible. Most of you were shocked it wasn't The Walking Dead. Oh, the, the clapping. Yes, the Bible. We can clap for the Bible, sure. Great. I was, uh, you know, I was shocked that it wasn't The Walking Dead because, you know, that's kind of an awesome show too, but way to go Bible, right? So it's the number one show on cable. And um, people are curious. People want to know and want to have questions about this. Just to let you know, the be- people are wanting you to invite them to church at Easter. They just are. They just don't know where to go. Um, uh, what was I going to say? The, uh, the, oh after, after Easter, by the way. Because people have so many questions about what does, it, what does it mean to be someone who's connected to Jesus, we're doing a series for a couple weeks. I think we got six or eight weeks marked out that are just designed for people to kind of reconfigure. What exactly are we talking about when we say the word Christian? In fact, the title of the series is incredibly not clever. It's Christian. That's all we called it. That's all we could think of. All, all the brilliant minds that work at Mariners, is all we got. It's just Christian with a question mark at the end of it. And for those of you who are kind of investigating what Jesus is all about, or maybe need a little refresher, or maybe there's some kind of, you know, maybe there's someone in your life where you go, they've been asking me a lot of questions and I don't know the answers. Bring them. We're all on a learning journey. love for them to be a part of that. It starts after Easter. It'll be really, really fun. So excited about today as we wrap up Fearless Generosity. As we get into it, why don't we do this? Let's pray together and we'll start getting into the series uh, as we wrap it up. So let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that you, uh, you are here and Lord, as we, um, as we just imagine, even thinking about the service already, we're grateful that we got to see kids modeling for us what it looks like to have a genuine and unrestricted worship. Jesus, we're thankful that we get to sing, that we get to get a break from the rest of our life and our world, just for a moment, to sit in here, to connect with you, to reconnect with you, and perhaps even to connect with each other. Jesus, for a lot of us, our experience with you is sometimes a very distant one. We imagine that you are away in some faraway place and that occasionally you swoop in to do something miraculous or good or maybe perhaps you swoop in to punish or discipline. And today, Jesus, would you be made known to us as one who is close, not one who is distant, but that God, you're right here among us. Jesus, would you just as we find the, the rare moments of quiet in our life, just in this, in this space, would you speak to us as one who is close, not one who is distant? And we just give you a second or two to, to speak into our own hearts. Father, we're grateful that you speak to us in words that are beyond words, that you speak directly to our soul. I thank you that you desire to be close to us and when we hear from you today, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would we be moved? Would our lives be made different because you would work in us today, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, if you want to pull out your outline, we're going to be walking through a little bit of Palm Sunday stuff. And I just want to invite you, there's a couple different ways to follow along. Maybe you grabbed a Bible on your way in. Maybe you want to follow along on the screen. Maybe you need to turn on a screen that you brought with you that has a Bible in it. But we want to, um, we want to just make sure we're, we're kind of there. So as you're getting that stuff ready, let me get you kind of framed up a little bit. My, a couple weeks ago, as a helicopter flew over the church while I was talking, <laughs> and it wasn't distracting at all. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm at you, well, I should say this, by the way. If there's ever a restaurant that God would visit personally because it's so delicious... If Jesus was walking the earth right now, I guarantee he would hold meetings and dinners at Chipotle. Guarantee. There's just not a doubt in my mind. That aside, uh, I'm, I'm, a couple weeks ago I'm at Chipotle with my kids, my two oldest. So my son's nine and then my daughter who's six and a half. She's almost seven now I think about it. But anyway, so that, that's a detail you needed. But anyway, so my, my two kids are there. Two of my kids are there. And as we walk into this Chipotle... As all of them, you know, all of them are so cool and they, they can do no wrong in my eyes. They're just unbelievable, greatest thing in the world. But at the decor in this particular one, as you walk in, there's a wall right to your left and, and in front of that wall is another wall just a little bit off of it and it's backlit. And in this wall are a series, I don't know how many there are, it's the, the whole wall is covered with, you know, d- drilled out holes. There's just holes of different sizes all the way through the whole thing. Like just all across the whole thing, different sizes getting smaller and smaller and, I guess that's cool. I'm, you know, I don't know, but that's, it, was, it looks cool, and there it is. So I'm watching, I'm, I'm at Chipotle, I'm looking over and watching stuff, which, by the way, it, the next time you go there, and some of you are like, because he's talking about it, we're going there after church. No, there's not a question about it now. So all of you are going to, you know, ex- exchange postcards at, at Chipotle. But <clears throat> I, have you ever watched this? The way people watch the food being made there. It is like the. It, you can watch people actually being possessive of that of that moment of like the. They're just so afraid. I'm the same way. That you're, they're going to confuse your your little bowl with someone else's burrito, and they're grouping the food. No, it's not theirs. That's not, theirs. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. That's, thank you. No, that's mine. Yeah. Sorry, sir. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but there's this. This like. There's this looking over the burritos as they pass down the line. As, you know, there's, almost, there's a reason why they have that glass there. It is the drool already like, there goes my burrito. No, I just want the hot sauce. I don't want that other sauce. That's his. Put it on his. This is mine. And just you have that whole thing. So I'm watching this unfold. And we're standing there. We're looking at all stuff. And my son begins to start like ring size testing all these holes doing this kind of thing. And we're watching this stuff. And I, I'm kind of, and I just hear this. Oh, no. And there's my nine-year-old, stuck, <laughs> just like this. Dad, Dad, I'm stuck. And I'm I'm like, I, I, now I remember, his sister's with him too. <laughs> and I look over there, and I just am overwhelmed with sadness. <laughs> I just immediately, I just, this is terrible. I just started laughing. I mean, like laughing. Not, it wasn't like I was like... I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's awesome!" And then his sister is like, "Oh, you're stuck, whatever." And he's like, "I'll, I'll kick you!" Like she's like, "You can't even reach me, you know." So he's like trying to donkey kick her right there, and he's stuck right there. And you can see the fear on his face now. It's not like it's you know, there's a number of things he's now like kind of. He's got this face which is like, "Dad, you got to save me. I'm totally stuck." And there's like you could tell all of what's running through his head. I'm gonna be stuck here forever. I'll be waiting right here as, like, my friends go into high school, you know, and I have to have private tutors come to me, and they'll throw me a burrito every once in a while about, hey, folks, how's it going? Yeah, I'm the kid who lives here. Yeah, it's just, don't do what I did. This is lame. This is terrible. But he's imagining all that stuff. You, you can you imagine that part of him is the embarrassment, too, because the line at Chipotle, you know, it adds up pretty quick. People are kind of adding up behind him. There's just, it's now out the door. I mean... You can just tell the pressure is on him to get his finger out of there. And he's looking at me, dad, save me, dad, dad, save me. And I'm, I'm just, I'm enjoying every moment of it. Really, I am. And he's so embarrassed. And you can tell he's got this fear. And he, the question really is, his face is saying, save me. His words are saying, rescue me. But what does he really mean? Is it really, is it about the embarrassment? Is it about the fear? Is it about, you know, like, are they going to have to cut my finger off when they come in? when the, like, the fire department got to have to use jaws of life on my finger, you know, like, How am I going to live? And the question sort of what's happening on on Easter or on Palm Sunday is that the people people who are seeing Jesus riding into Jerusalem, they are saying, because they're desperate just like my son, save us, save me, save us. Incidentally, I realized I didn't tell anybody the last couple services that I did get my son out. They're like, how'd you get him out? Like, I, I realized everybody waited until the end of the message I didn't tell anybody. So anyways. Um, and, no, no, just kidding. <laughs> I just, I didn't tell it because it's not dramatic. He's like up high like this, so I have to like lift him up a little bit. And then I got an angle out and he came out. But just the moment of fear was just the best. And he learned a wonderful lesson. Okay, so the people, when they see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they start saying, save us. And it looks like this in John chapter 12. It says this. The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival heard Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 13. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, which means, save us. Save me. Save now is probably even the most literal. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The festival being talked about here is the Passover feast. People from all over, all of the people, all of the Jews from all over the place make their pilgrimage to the temple at the Passover celebration. And this this particular day, this day that Jesus is coming into the city, is called Lamb Selection Day, the Sunday before Passover. Now, let me just give you, let me back up a little bit. Um, What's happening at Passover is this. 1,500 years before Jesus or so, the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. They've been crying out to God, God, save us, save us now. We're not really liking the fact that we're slaves in Egypt, it's miserable, we need help. Now what happens is, as many of you know the story, God's, God's miraculous rescue comes in a number of different ways, but part of the, the sort of most dramatic way, I would think, is probably the sense of the, the, the ten plagues that come upon, uh, come upon the Egyptians. So there's all kinds of weird plagues. There's like water turning into blood, you got you know, locusts and all kinds of stuff, and all of these sort of things start happening. And the 10th plague, God sends the angel of death over all of the people, Israelites and Egyptians alike, and he says, this is really wild, if you, if you kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost over your door, then the angel of death, who would take the firstborn of every family, will pass over your house and will get the other ones. So make sure you do this, and this is actually as its the tenth plague. This is the one where the Pharaoh is like, "All oh, right, I've had enough. Everybody, get out." Okay, so this is a big deal, and they're to commemorate the Passover, the Passover this Passover moment, which led to their freedom, every single year. Now, what they would do is they would choose a lamb to be slaughtered on Lamb Selection Day. Here's where this comes from. This is Exodus chapter twelve, verse three. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, you must share it with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 5, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, but all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Okay, so now listen. To what's happening here? People are making their as we get to people are making their way into Jerusalem for the Passover feast. They're entering the city on Lamb Selection Day. Now you have to see what's happening here. The way that it's prescribed in Exodus is people would pick out a lamb on the tenth day. And then, remember, this lamb has to be presented to the high priest eventually as spotless, without any flaw. If the lamb has like a little wart on its foot, if it, has, if it has a broken leg, or it's blind in one eye, or it's deaf, or whatever it is, it can't be used as part of the Passover celebration. So you go and you pick out your lamb, and that's on the 10th day of the month. And then you take it home to your house, to your family, And you have to care for it. Because if it gets injured, it's not like you can just go, here's the lamb. And then just, hope the wolves don't get to you. We'll get to you in a couple days. You'd have this lamb around you. Now, I'm not, I didn't grow up on, I grew up in Irvine. I mean, that's where my my life has been there. I have never, I've never raised lambs. I've never been around animals like that, you know. Uh, But I have to tell you, I've been to a petting zoo. I've seen a lamb. It's cute. It's tiny. It's awesome. You could pick it up. And you could hold it. And and that's not the brightest animal in the world, but it will just snuggle with you. And you'd probably give it a name Cloud or Puffy, (laughs) Poofy, something. There he is, right there. You'd hold him real close. And you'd have to make sure that that lamb was protected, because again, if it got injured, you couldn't present it for a sacrifice. Now imagine you have a family of people, little kids, and everything. Hey, kids, look, it's (gasps) Lammy. Lammy! You know, they pick him up and he talks to you. But by the way, I should say this Have you guys noticed? how much like how much publicity lambs sheep goats whatever are getting on the web right now because they sound like human beings have you seen this at all this is like the greatest thing i'm going to show you this just in one second but imagine you have a little lammy who even sounds a little bit like you you know they they i mean they just sort of sound like, mom whatever they sound a little bit like you and they're, oh it's so cute and then so it becomes part of your family like check this out this is what i mean look this is just sheep little tiny lambs sounding like human beings this is awesome funny that is so funny to me that a lamb sounds like that but imagine you got that guy in your house mom, mom, mom you know just sounds like a little person and it's so cute now you would have to get attached to this little lamb unfortunately because four days later you'd have to offer that lamb as a sacrifice that's part of what you do and it's not like you hand a lamb to the priest and then he goes in a back room and euthanizes the lamb humanely that's not how it works. There's your whole family. You take the lamb to the priest. And then you and your family, you slit the lamb's throat. And the blood is collected and then thrown onto the, I mean, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is, a, this is an incredibly gruesome, very graphic depiction of something that, I, that God's trying to get people's attention for, which is this. We're going to talk a lot more about this on Good Friday, by the way that there is an incredibly high cost of freedom. There's an incredibly high cost of freedom. That there's this incredibly graphic moment in which people would be gathered, the whole families with their lamb, the kids clearly would have been attached to it, the parents would know what's coming, and there's this moment in which you see this innocent, perfect, spotless lamb whose blood is spilled. To remember God's rescue out of captivity and into freedom. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on Lamb Selection Day. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus for the first time, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus the Lamb of God enters Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. And what he's saying in so many words is, pick me. Pick me. And it's in this moment you begin to see as we sort of foreshadow what's coming, Jesus already has the cross in view in his own life. He knows what's going to happen. And he's saying, pick me. And you see God's fearless generosity on display for us right there the unblemished perfect holy lamb of god has entered into the city on lamb selection day and he's saying pick me and as he's making his way down the back of a donkey the people are shouting the word hosanna hosanna which means save me save us now and it's not so much that Jesus has, it's not, the words it means, save me is a fine thing to say. But what's intended by that meaning is what most people were expecting about the one who would come, God's chosen representative, his anointed one, the chosen one, Messiah. That person clearly was going to lead a military revolt over the Romans. That the Roman rule would end, there are new Pharaoh, there are the new captors, the new Egypt over God's people, and there would then be God's person would sweep in. The Romans would be undone. And Hosanna became the way in which we talk about a military victory over God's. It's a nationalistic, militaristic sort of pride word. And the people are waving palm branches, which on the one hand is the acknowledgement of a king. But it's also the symbol of the zealots. The zealots are the people who would say, God has chosen us, anointed us to pray in his power that we might go and kill the Romans. By whatever whatever it takes to win back our right to freedom, we will kill and take the Romans out because that's what God has given us to do. The symbol isn't that the people are waving olive branches at Jesus. They're waving these symbols that have become a symbol of nationalistic, militaristic, zealous anger. Jesus is making his way down this walkway, whatever it might be, this, this road into Jerusalem. People are chanting. He sees the palm branches and he doesn't sort of stop and soak it in. This is great. Not doing the like pointing out to people, hey, great to see you guys. Hey, I remember you. What's up? Hey, how's the eye doing? I mean, he doesn't do any of that stuff. He doesn't take it all in. He doesn't wave at everybody. Here's his reaction. Everybody's yelling and chanting, Hosanna, waving the palm branches. And upon seeing the the chanting and the the, the palms, here's what he says in Luke 19. Just I'll put it on the screen. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, remember, everyone's going crazy. He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Jesus enters the city and sees all these people saying something that's kind of, we're almost there, but they're just missing it entirely. They want a violent uprising over the Romans. They want their own sort of agenda worked out smoothly. They want everything to sort of be fine. By the way, the word weep there has other sort of translations. It's the words lament, to mourn for, and to bewail. It's not like he's kind of got a little tear. He is heartbroken over the city who has completely missed all of what this day is about, and what God intends to do through Jesus in this moment. The people only minimally need sort of Jesus' presence there. They want what a lot of us want, if you're anything like me, which is we want God to come in at moments. We actually like the sort of superhero Lone Ranger effect of God, where he comes in, swoops in, Kind of make sure that everything's working okay for us that we don't have we have a little less stress a little fewer red lights in our life and then he kind of can move on and we could say hey what do we owe you oh nothing ma'am I got this one I'm just the Lone Ranger Jesus and he takes off. There's a part of us that likes that. At least for me. I want Jesus to swoop in with divine, supernatural power and help me sort out my finances. I want him to swoop in and sort out when I have family conflict. I want him to swoop in and sort out whenever, whenever there's a cop in my rearview mirror. But I feel like there's a lot of me that says, Jesus, you know, you kind of mess stuff up in my life a lot of the time. Yeah, I was wondering if, you, you know, it's been great that you were here, but, you know, I think I got it from, I got it now. I need you to smooth things out. Then once you've done that, I need you to kind of ride off into the sunset. Because Jesus has a tendency to sort of mess with stuff and mess with our lives. And he has a tendency to get in the way. And the people want Jesus to come in, the Messiah, come in, rescue them, and then be on his way. Thanks for coming out. We'll call you if we need you. You've been great. That's what they want. Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes into the city, On Lamb Selection Day, the people say, save me, and they throw these palm fronds, a symbol of his royalty, and they're wanting and desiring that the the kingdom of Rome would be overthrown by a new kingdom of Israel. And maybe they've missed, maybe they missed it. When Jesus weeps over their words, over his parade, as he's getting closer and closer to the cross, He starts having these kind of confusing conversations with the disciples. Which, by the way, the disciples, more often than not, are confused when Jesus says stuff. When he tells them, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. They're like, ah, yeah, that's going to be great. Anyway, like they just never actually see what's happening. It takes them forever to actually catch that this is what Jesus is going to do. So in, in John 12, he's coming into the city. And he starts to tell them about his death, and they're kind of like, well, okay. And then in chapter 13, he has this famous foot-washing moment where he washes their, their feet. In chapter 14, he tells them, hey, you guys, this is John, the book of John I, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to go ahead and go now. And they're all like, wait, wait, can we go with you? No, you can't come with me. You're going to leave us? Yes, I'm going to leave you, but the Holy Spirit will be here. And they're all kind of like, we don't totally understand what that means, and then he says, so remember, John 14, he's saying, I'm going to leave you. In John 15, he says this. Look at verse 4. I'm going to leave you, verse 4. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, the word remain, in older translations of the Bible, you'd have the, the word abide. Abide. This is a word that means, uh, among other things, it means to continue to be, to endure, to remain as one. It's a term that, in other words, says, why don't you stay a while with me? Just hang out with me. Be connected to me. The, the language here is incredibly inclusive. It's a language of implied connectedness. And Jesus is saying, I need you guys For you to have the life that you have been hoping for, the life of abundance, I need you to be connected to me or it won't happen the way that you thought it would. The word abide, by the way, is used 10 times in seven verses right here. Clearly, there's something about us being connected to Jesus, even in ways we don't understand. The disciples are saying, Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to leave. And then he says, I want you to stay connected to me. There's something even they don't understand, but that Jesus is still calling on them to stay connected to him. Verse five. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, we have to unpack a little bit here. You have this very sort of common imagery being used here. The words vine or vine dresser, the, the, the vine dresser gardener. Those are always sort of symbols in sort of Jewish history of God. This language that uses this, that's being used to describe God. The notion of the vine is used to describe the nation, the people of Israel. So you have God, the gardener, coming by to clean and prune the vine to make sure that it has the greatest growth, and the vine is God's people who are attended to by the gardener. Here's, here's what it says in Psalm 80. It's on your outline. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. This is, again, speaking of the rescue of God, of the vine from Egypt. You cleared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. Its shoots as far as the river. So there's this picture of God's care for his people such that they had become a mighty nation. Only in this particular, you know, this bigger conversation, Jesus says, not you are the vine. He says, I am the vine. I'm the vine. In other words, all of God's promises, purposes, expectations, hopes for the people of Israel Fully rest on me. The expectation of God's people, what we see at the very beginning of God's people with Abraham, is that God's people are blessed to be a blessing. That it's upon them to reflect all of God's image into the world, that, God, that people, would, people would know who God is by seeing these people. And now Jesus says, I'm the vine. What you once formerly knew as you being the vine, I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you're connected to me as part of God's people, you're going to bear fruit. But you are connected to me. And then he says, apart from me, you can't do anything. The life that you'd hope to have, apart from me, the rich, full, abundant life that you're hoping to have, can't be had without me. He says, there, you know, he's, like, he's kind of using this gardening analogy here. I, I am not I am not a gardener. In, in my house, neither or my, my family, none of us are gardeners. We we the way we garden is we, we buy plants and then they die and we replace them. <laughs> and then the cycle continues, you know, the circle of life kind of stuff. Right? I don't know. But this is how we do our, our that's how we garden. And uh, you know, I, I do know a little bit, because I've seen it, I know that that flowers, when they do what they're supposed to do. They produce a bloom, a flower. You can see it. And that the, there are branches that will grow off, off of a rose bush or whatever else that have turned brown. And they're no longer producing flowers. And the only way to sort of help the whole thing kind of go is to remove the branches that don't work. That they kind of, this is just, that's a very clear example. Jesus is saying if their branches don't work, we've got to trim them off so that they can grow. We're going to have to remove these things so that the root of those branches can grow. But until then, we have to sort of do some pruning. My, my wife the other day, who is incredibly, she's like a super craft person. She'll try everything to be you know, crafty and cute and clever. And, you know, I talked to some of you guys at Rooted Week 8. She's a total, like, addicted to the cult of Pinterest. And, you know, there's always an idea of how we can turn a milk carton into a cell phone. And it looks cute in the shape of a heart or something. But she's... Um, she, my, with my, with the help, well, my daughter wanted to, to have her room kind of look a little more big girl. She's turning seven in April, and so she's kind of wanted a big girl room, so it's purple and zebra. Uh, awesome. Um, but my wife took the, Amanda took the, the, the bed, the, the headboard and the, and the footboard of, her, of my daughter's bed, and she spray painted them this incredibly bright purple. But the way that she did this was she rested the the headboard and the footboard against a, a bush outside of our garage. <laughs> but but our, we do this kind of stuff all the time. Our neighbors, there's like always a weird, clearly overspray of some kind of paint in our, in our street or whatever. It's just like, yeah, the Maguires are doing crafts again. So this is not that uncommon, by the way. But she's resting this thing up against the, the bush there, and she's just spraying this super bright, like, gl- high-gloss enamel purple paint over the whole thing. All the way up. Now, turns it around the whole thing. Now, when she removes the the, the headboard from the from the, the little shrubbery there, you have, like, a Willy Wonka purple plant right there. And it's not like it's subtle. Like, oh, that's kind of an interesting color for the plant. It is like, ah! it's like this kind of scary plant thing. Now, the, the that part of the plant which is a pretty significant part of this like shrubbery bush thing i don't know how it lives but there it is it, there's no way that that part of the plant can ever produce any more like life from it it's just covered in like an eighth of an inch worth of purple enamel so i get to do my favorite thing as a gardener other you know which I, there's not much gardening in our house like i said before is we have like one electric hedge trimmer thing which looks like kind of a, a wuss version of a chainsaw because it plugs in and it looks the same kind of deal. But I just get to, by the way, if you need me to come over and just destroy your plants, I'll do that for free. I love this. <laughs> so I, I have this thing plugged in, and I just, I just turn that thing on and ba wah. I just cut this bush that's like this big down to like a little tiny cube. I mean, it's just this tiny little thing. And there's all this purple shrapnel that my wife has left there for us because it, it had to be cut off because it no longer could grow. For the plant to survive, Some of those things had to be removed. And Jesus is saying, a lot of us have a purple bright shine on the outside of us, and we believe in some way that we're connected to Jesus somehow, but we don't really want him there. And we're actually kind of dying. We want him to swoop in and do the rescue, but we don't want to stay connected. And there's this very realistic picture here of, there are parts of our lives That need to be pruned so that we can have a full rich deep life and connection with him because so much of us desires a full and rich life but we like the idea of the appearance of connection with jesus more than we like jesus actually being connected with us and so jesus tells his disciples i want you to be connected to me the town is crying for a military victory. The town is crying for an overthrow of the Romans. Is it possible that what they really need, their save me cry isn't as much, for the, in terms of what their soul needs, isn't as much about overthrowing the Romans. It's about something way different. It's about being connected to Jesus. This is what he desires. That we would be connected with him. Skip down to verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his light, To lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, verse 14 has been taken out of context a lot. It's been used to cause a lot of guilt among people. It's been used to sort of coerce people into kind of a fearful obedience of God. But what's the commandment being talked about here? Love each other. The evidence of, our, of the connection between us and God, our abiding in God, our abiding in Jesus, is the way in which we love each other. This is a theme throughout the sort of last night or so of Jesus' life where he keeps saying, among other times, he keeps saying to his disciples, people are going to know that you're connected to me because you love each other. You want to remain in me? One of the ways you'll know that you're remaining in me is the way that you love each other. Our abiding relationship is one in which we Love each other because of our connection with Jesus. Verse 15. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, if you have your own Bible, if you have your outline, if there's a way you can highlight it digitally, whatever you want to do, I would circle, underline, highlight the word friends there. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about, to his own own disciples, saying... If you want to be like me, if you want to be connected to me, serve. And here, well, he's not undermining the notion of servants because he just demonstrated the supreme act of service in the foot washing only two chapters earlier. He uses a different word. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I call you friends. For everything I learned from my Father I've made known to you Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command, he reiterates, love each other. The whole of Jesus' effort isn't that he would merely provide a service for us that he could swoop in, rescue us from something, and that we would never need him again. The whole of Jesus' life and effort, even his death on the cross, which we which we'll, we'll talk about and actually sort of really consider what it means for us on Good Friday. But the whole of all of that stuff is that we would be connected to him, that we might be called his friends. Some of you are like really friends? He wants to be my Jesus wants to be my friend? Isn't there's got to be some sort of subtle nuance to the term there? It doesn't really mean friend, right? He, he means something else. Guys, this is. It's not my words. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. I call you friends. No, that can't be good. We're all grown ups in here. That's not, that's not how we talk. That's not what this is about. There's got to be something else. My guess is if you wanted to get a really good definition of what the friends we're talking about here is, we could ask any one of these kids who were up here singing earlier, so tell me about what, a, what it means to be a friend. Here's what they would say, guaranteed. Well, the first thing they'd say is someone I like being with. I just want to be around that person. I watched my four-year-old, who yesterday came, came to church wearing his soccer uniform, uh, talking with his four-year-old uh, buddy who was wearing a, a Star Wars clone trooper costume, <laughs> which instantly endeared him to my own soul. But there they were, and I watched them at dinner talking to each other. They did not make, I'm not sure any of the sentences that they said to each other naturally had a, a, like a progression or like a connection to the thought. They weren't really, it was like, you know, I played soccer today. My dad is a pastor. It's like they're, that's all that they could, and they looked at each other and they were like, well, I just like being with you. We're best friends. Us being together matters. That's all that it took for them. When you ask little kids, who are your friends? Well, they're, they're the people I like being with. I want to be with them. They're not people who provide a service for me, then leave. They're people I want to be with. If you ask kids, what are friends like? They'd say, well, this is the person who stands with me when the mean kids are at school and they're threatening me. I got someone who's standing right there with me. That's a friend. As kids get a little bit older, this is best you can best modeled by, you know, by junior high girls. But you have this, if you've ever seen this, but this is like the funniest thing to me. I, I lo- this happens in most malls, you'll see at least two or three times, is that both of them feel they need the same soundtrack to be able to sort of walk the, the, the stores together. So someone will have an iPod or an iPhone or whatever, and they'll have the headphones. Each person will have one of the headphones in their ear, and they'll be sort of umbilically connected to a soundtrack where they're walking together, kind of mouthing the words together and talking. It's like they're just sort of, we have a soundtrack now. It's, you know, we're, it's, we're connected. And those girls, those, those, that pair of girls, if you were to stop them and say, you know what? You guys are like the same person. They would love that. I know, it's so great. Well, I say something and she completes the sentence and I, we go back and forth and it's just this whole, you can just imagine, they, they do, and, and even when there's a sense about them where people go, you know, like their parents, like you guys are becoming more and more like each other. I know it's the best, we use the same language, we dress the same, we like the same stuff. We're all into the same kinds of things. I think when Jesus is talking about being friends, as much as it's sort of ridiculous to watch junior high girls umbilically connected with the soundtrack and everything else, There's something to be said about that model of friendship. That the two lives of people would be so intertwined that they would be almost indistinguishable. And Jesus says, I want you to be my friends. And the marker of friendship, among other things, is that a friend would give his life for the other person. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. We see the, the unbelievable, fearless generosity of God. The people are chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us now. And he's not bringing them what they want. He's inviting them into a deep, personal friendship with him. He says, I want your life and my life to be so, because you like me. And I like you. I choose you. I want to be with you. And I want our lives to be so intertwined that people look at, our, look at you and go, That reminds me of Jesus. You must spend a lot of time with him. Jesus gives his life for his friends. And it isn't merely that we're the recipients of his wonderful service to us and we're called friends. The very difficult reality is that if we're friends with him, then we also release our own life that we might be connected to him. In fact... The notion of being connected to him, this rescue that God wants to do in our own lives cannot come until we release our own life because if you're like me, so much of my own life, I hold on to it and say, God, can you just help me straighten everything out in here? God's saying that isn't the way you can be rescued. You want to have a rich, full life with me? You're going to have to let it go. The Bible says this frequently. Jesus' words are often said. If you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it. If you lose your life, You'll find it. Sometimes this is called dying to self. The life of dying to self is the way in which we are rescued. And that is the Hosanna we are all dying at the soul level of our own lives. A life connected to Jesus isn't based on fear. It's about having a friendship. Jesus looks at us and says, why don't you stay a while? Why don't you stay a while? And the marker of a friendship, anybody who would say that to you in your own life, as they would say, come into my house and stay a while, relax. Is that they would listen to you. Hey, why don't you stay a while, tell me what's going on. And some of you are like, I don't, know how to, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that with Jesus yet. Guys, we're going to talk a lot more about all of what that looks like and the implications of that in the next series coming up. But here's what I want you to know today, just... The one thing you got to get. Is that Jesus looks at you and says, I choose you and want to be with you. You are not a burden to me. You're not a distraction from the other work I got to do. I want to be with you. And why don't you stay a while? Why don't you stay a while with me? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? On Palm Sunday, what we acknowledge is that Jesus, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, has made his way into the city. And that the ultimate aim of his life and death is that we would be connected with him. And so Jesus says to you right now, in this very moment, why don't you stay a while? For a lot of us, the notion of Jesus being one who would be attentive to us. That he's not just frustrated with us, that we're not measuring up. That he wants to be with us is a revolutionary idea. We started the service by asking God to speak to our own soul. Here's what I want to invite you to do. God says to you, why don't you stay a while? Remain in me. Abide. What is it that you want to say to Jesus who desires to be with you as a friend? So in the quietness of your own heart God's rescuing power is available to you right now and he desires to be with you What would you say to him right now The friend Father, we speak to you as a friend. It's an amazing, staggering idea. That you, the author of all life, the one who created the universe, the one who put things into motion, and the one who sustains everything, would choose us. Would call us friend. God, thank you that you know me, that you see me. Thank you that you walk with me, with us. God, would you be made known as a friend to me? Lord, would this Palm Sunday be a day in which we no longer walk in fear, but rather, God, would we walk in intimacy with you because of your great love given to us, and so we call on your name, Jesus, as a friend. Lord, as we sing these songs... Could there be a response our own prayer set to music A chorus of friends who would say your name because you are our lord you are our father and you call us friend Amen